بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين وأفضل الصلاة وأتم التسليم على سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وأصحابه أجمعين اللهم صل وسلم على سيدنا محمد مفتاح باب رحمة الله عدد ما في علم الله صلاة وسلاما دائمين بدوام ملك الله وعلى آله وأصحابه ومن والاه اللهم علمنا ما ينفعنا وانفعنا بما علمتنا وزدنا علما يا كريم رب اشرح لي صدري ويسر لي أمري وحل العقدة من لساني يفقه قولي الحمد لله we've come to the last session of this weekend retreat where we are reflecting on the earth and the heavens and oftentimes when we use that terminology we say the heavens and the earth but the reason that uh, we're saying the earth and the heavens is that Imam al-Ghazali radiallahu anhu he has this very uh, deliberate system of reflection where he says that a person starts from that which is closest to that which is the uh, furthest from a person. So he says here towards the end, and we might cover it again at the end just to uh, emphasize it uh, uh, more than once. He says that uh, a person, uh, a person of intellect, you have to extend. Uh, so he says, extend your contemplation of the realm of the kingdom so that perhaps the gates of heaven may be open to you and you may be able to roam its regions with your heart until your heart finds itself before the throne of the All-Merciful. Then, then you may be able to hope to attain the rank of Sayyidina Umar ibn al-Khattab who said, my heart has beheld my Lord. My heart beheld my Lord. So these are, uh, these are realities that are possible. The Sahaba radiallahu anhum wa ardahum, they said these kinds of things uh, to let the rest of us know the possibilities. Uh, there was another one of the Sahaba, uh, Sayyidina Suraqa radiallahu anhu, was a young man. He was about 17 years old. When the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa sallam asked him, Kayfa asbah, ya, asbahta ya haritha? He said, How did you? How are you this morning? In what state have you uh, awakened into this morning, O Haritha? He said, I became a true, a realized believer in Allah. And the Prophet ﷺ, he said, be careful of what you say because every claim has to have its proof. So what is the proof of what you're saying? And he said, it is as if I am looking at the, my Lord's throne in front of me. It's as if I'm seeing Allah's arsh, Allah's throne, that I am beholding it this very moment. And that is, it is as if I am seeing the people of paradise in paradise and the people in fire in the fire. And then the Prophet wasallam, the greatest teacher, the one who teaches us the proper path to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he didn't say, no, that's not possible. He said, عَرَفْتَ فَلْزَمْ you know, so you have to remain steadfast. This is a servant. Allah has placed light in his heart. And that light is accessible. It's possible for whomever Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives tawfiq. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us all tawfiq. So as Shaykh Yahya was saying that Imam al-Ghazali has these majari, these channels, these 
ways of ascending in the degrees of reflection. And we talked about uh, in session number three, we talked about the signs of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala within the human being. That's the starting place that a person looks within themselves first and foremost, as we'll cover when we get there, that he goes through this progression. The human being looks at oneself, then the surroundings, the earth, the seas, the mountains, and then the heavens, and then ascends all the way until they uh, are before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But we'll get there bi-idhnillahi ta'ala. So now that we've covered the closest thing to our own selves, which is our, our self, our own creation, and all of the marvels and wonders that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has placed in that from the very beginning all the way to the very end, now we look at signs in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's creation that is apart from human beings, other created beings. So Imam al-Ghazali says, as for the earth, among Allah's signs is that he created the earth as an expanse and a spacious abode and threaded through it broad pathways, making it easily accessible so that you may walk in its tracts. He made it stable so that it does not shift. Now there are times when it shifts, but that once again is the exception. And that exception teaches us to be thankful for what we get used to. Naam. And he anchored it with mountains as pegs for it, lest it should shake. And that's in the Quran. And then once again, after uh, you know more uh, uh, discoveries, they realize that the, the, the mountains do serve as a stabilizing force for the earth. He made its extremities so vast that no human is capable of reaching every part of it, however long their lifetimes and however extensive their travels. And he has said, subhanahu wa ta'ala, وَالسَّمَاءَ بَنَيْنَاهَا بِأَيْدٍ وَإِنَّا لَمُوسِعُونَ And the sky we have raised with hands of indescribable immensity. And in truth, we are makers of vastness, and the earth we have unrolled, and what wondrous expanders are we. Meaning Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the royal we. He subhanahu wa ta'ala also said, it is he who made the earth amenable, uh, amenable to you, so you may walk in its tracks. And he who made the earth an expanse for you. Indeed, in his mighty book, Allah has spoken many times of the earth so that its marvels may be reflected upon. Its back is a dwelling place for the living, and its belly is a resting place for the dead. As Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, uh, uh, have we not made the earth a habitat for the dead and for the living? Now, have we ever reflected upon the fact that the entire earth could have been mountains? And that it would be very difficult to get from one place to the other. You know, nowadays our sedentary lifestyle, just going up a hill, you feel it. Imagine the whole world was mountains. It's just mountains. But look how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, yes, there are mountains that hold down the earth, but then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made it expansive. And even in the mountains, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made tracts and pathways for people to be able to travel. That even that ability to, to travel on the earth is a sign of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that this uh, planet, this abode in which he placed us subhanahu wa ta'ala, he made it so that it is, uh, it facilitates our ability to live here. It's the perfect distance from the sun. We have everything we need. It's uh, uh, largely stable and that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala 
created all of these pathways for us and so forth. And that he made it a habitat for the dead and for the living. And there's a beautiful story, this is just a side point, where, and now we're going to talk shortly, inshallah, about the heavens. And the heavens are far greater than the earth. But the heavens was, you know, this is a, a in, in meaning, not to be taken literally, in meaning. The heavens was talking about how lowly the earth is. The earth is so simple, so small, so it doesn't have much. And the heavens has the constellations and the angels and and everything. And then the earth responded and it said, but I have one thing that you do not have. And they said, what is that? He said, the Prophet Muhammad وسلم, is here. He's not in the heavens. He's on earth. So then the heavens said, you win. No. So then the earth, consider the earth and the fact that it is dead, but when we send down water upon it, as Allah says in a verse of the Quran, it stirs and swells. Right? And that you start to see that. That have you, if you've ever seen those really uh, long videos that they speed up of a seed coming out, you see that the earth kind of shake and then it pops out and then it sprouts. Right? Who made that happen? Who took a seed that was seemingly dead and gave it this strength and this ability to push through uh, the, the earth and seeking the sunlight and so forth? It becomes verdant and grows wonderful plants and all kinds of living creatures come forth from it. Then consider how he strengthened the flanks of the earth with firm mountains, solid, massive, towering peaks. How he placed bodies of water beneath it, causing springs to gush forth and waters to flow upon it. He also brought forth from dry rocks and turbid dust delicate, crystal clear water by which he made all things live. He produced all manner of trees and plants, grains, grapes and herbs, olives and palms and pomegranates and countless types of fruits of different forms, colors, tastes, smells and other qualities. And then Imam al-Ghazali mentions a verse of the Quran. He makes some of them superior to others for eating, even if they are all watered from a single source. Every single type of plant, everything that's alive, it's irrigated by water. You know, it's not like fruits have sweet water. You put a little honey in the water and it makes the fruit sweet and vegetables have salt water. or It's all one water. And from that one source, and who's the one who wills for that to happen? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. People need to think about that. Allah tells us that that is a means for reflection in the Quran. That you have trees and you have flowers and you have plants and you have fruits and you have vegetables and you have nuts. All of that grows from the same source. From the same source of nutrition. Allows them to do that. By whose command? By Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Naam. Uh, so they are all watered from a single source. And they grow from a single piece of land. You may say, but the differences between them arise from the differences between their seeds and roots. But when was there even in a date stone, a palm tree, but when was there ever in a date stone, a palm tree weighed down with clusters of fresh dates? Or when were there ever in a single seed, seven ears with 100 grains in each, e in each ear? In other words, who's the one who made that come out? It wasn't there to begin with. 
But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the one who made it multiply and grow and come out. It's not hidden there. But in a way it is, but it's Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who commands for that to come out. Next, consider the semi-desert lands, examining their outside and inside. You will see it to be earth that is uniform in appearance, yet when Allah sends down water upon it, it quivers and swells, causing every kind of delightful pear to grow, varying in color and vegetation that is alike and some that are not alike, each one differing from the other in taste, scent, color, and form. Then consider how abundant they are, how the differences between their types, their many diverse forms, and again, the diverse natures of the plant kingdom, their many uses, and how Allah Most High has placed in them amazing pharmacological properties, that these, these foods that we have, they're actually, uh, they're actually medicinal. That for people who understand what's good for you and what benefits you and what harms you, all of these things are part of that world and you have to be able to differentiate. They all might seemingly be very similar, but the person of discernment knows, oh, well, this is good for you. As Imam al-Ghazali is going to say, this makes you hot, this cools you down, this you know, uh, affects this particular humor and so forth. And he speaks about it in a language for uh, his particular time, but we all understand and agree that food affects you in different ways. And nutritionists understand that. And people of uh, medicine understand that which is why they say that the stomach is the place of sickness. You know, when you fill it too much and you fill it with things that your body is not supposed to consume, it's the source that causes a person to become sick. And we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for afiyah. But Imam al-Ghazali is saying that you reflect on all of that. How many types of mangoes are there in the world? There's like 70 types of mangoes. You know, mangoes are good, but look at how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala just the, the unlimited power that he has. He can make 70 types of mangoes. He can make all different kinds of particular flowers or one animal or even human beings, the variations between human beings. And they're all one race. They're all from Adam and Hawa. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala turned them into nations and tribes and so forth. All of that from one single source that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wills for this diversity to come from. This plant gives nutrition, this one gives strength, this one revives, this one kills, it could be poisonous, this one cools, this one heats. When this one collects in the stomach, it draws yellow bile from the depths of the veins, and so forth, different medicinal qualities. Tamam? Now, every one of these plants requires cultivation of a specific nature in order to raise them. So then there's even a way that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has inspired us to be able to take care of these different kinds of plants. Also among his signs are the gems buried under the mountains. So Imam al-Ghazali starting from the, all of this is currently the sensory world. All of this is what we can see with our eyes. Even if we just look outside, it's not even a variation. It's the same tree, but even as it begins to die, there's, a, beauti there's a, a beautiful experience that we're witnessing of deep reds and yellow and purple and all these other different kinds of colors. And even in the seasons, there are signs. You know, David was saying earlier that we're covering the book of death in the winter, which is a representation of death. Winter is death. Spring is life. 
Spring is life, it's young life, and it's also rebirth, right? And so forth. Summer is youth, you're hot, you are got a lot of energy. Fall, you mellow out, getting a little bit older age. And then winter is like old age and death. Those are signs for us. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, did you not see how we brought the earth back to life after it was dead? All of that is calling us to reflect. So also among his signs are the gems buried under the mountains and the minerals extracted from mines. The earth contains adjoining regions that are different. Consider the mountains, how exquisite jewels and metals are extracted from them. Gold, silver, turquoise, rubies, and others. Some are malleable, others are non-malleable. And consider how Allah Most High guided mankind to extracting and refining them and to making vessels, tools, coins, and jewelry from them. All of that is a sign that we're able to even identify those things, extract them, and find usages for them. And we know that Prophet Dawood, he was taught how to make iron malleable, right? and that he made armor and so forth. And that's divinely inspired. Among his signs, too, are all the species of living creatures. Their divisions into those that fly and those that walk. And the categorization of those that walk or crawl into those that move on two legs, on four, on ten, like a, a worm or a, like a caterpillar, or even on a hundred centipede, as can be found with some small insects. And furthermore, their division into subcategories according to their use, form, shape, behavior, and nature. And look at one of the amazing things that we learn in the Quran is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala وَعَلَّمَ آدَمَ الْأَسْمَاءَ كُلَّهَا That Allah taught Adam all the names. And that you see how human beings, we have a knack for categorization. You know, we have the, the species and the genus and all of that into all of these breakdowns and categorizations. Consider the birds in the sky the wild beasts of the earth and the domesticated animals, you will see in them such wonders as leave no room for doubt as to the magnificence of their creator, the omnipotent power of their designer, or the wisdom of their form giver. How could all that ever be studied exhaustively? If we, indeed, if we wish to speak of the wonders of the gnat, ant, bee, or spider, which are among the smallest of living creatures, about the building of their homes, how they collect their food, their courtship of their mates, how they store things for themselves, their skill in the architecture of their dwellings, and in the manner in which they are guided to meeting their own needs, we would not be capable of doing so. So then, this is what the point that Imam al-Ghazali is really trying to get us to. He's taking us on this channel of reflection. So he said, oh, look at that. Oh, look at that. Oh, look at that. And then the real goal is, what do you really see? As Shaykh Yahya was saying that, you know, you, you witness Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's attributes in his actions reflected in his creation. So then Imam al-Ghazali says, there exists no creature, great or small, that does not contain innumerable wonders. Do you suppose that the spider learned the skill of weaving its web by itself? Or that it came into existence by itself? or that a human being brought it into existence or taught it, or that it had no guide or teacher. Some people, that's their conclusion. Can any perceptive individual doubt that the spider is lowly, weak, and powerless? 
But if the elephant, an enormous creature whose strength is manifest, is incapable of knowing its own accord what to do, how could that feeble creature, the spider? Does not that spider with its structure, its form, its movements, its direct direction, and its wondrous handiwork testify to its own infinitely wise divisor, its all-powerful and omniscient creator? Who taught it? I remember when, you know, when my son was born, uh, we were in another room. We had to go to another room. Long story short, I was holding him, and he started looking for the milk on his own. He says, who taught him that? Nobody. Nobody from creation. Subhanallah. And it was just like, subhanallah. And he, you see it for your own eyes. You're like, ajib. How did he know to do that? How does he know? Subhanallah. Therefore, a perceptive individual will see that in this tiny creature there is sufficient proof of the might and the majesty of its planner and creator and the perfection of his power and wisdom to leave the mind and understanding awestruck, to say nothing of the marvels of all other living creatures. This subject, too, is potentially endless, the earth's creatures being innumerable in their forms, ways, and characteristics. People's hearts have only lost their sense of wonder at them because of familiarity from having seen them for themselves. Indeed, when one sees a strange creature, even if it's a worm, his wonderment is renewed, and he will exclaim, Subhanallah, incomparably glorious is God. How wondrous is he. Right? The human being is the most wondrous of living creatures. He does not wonder at himself. We talked about that in the previous session. Naam. So he recognizes that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has designed and uh, facilitated and subjugated all of these things so that we can come to know him. Incomparably glorious then is he in whose knowledge all things are disclosed without contemplation, reflection, or pondering. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, unlike us, we have, if we want to come to a conclusion, we have to reflect the Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's knowledge is absolute. All things are disclosed to him without contemplation, reflection, or pondering, and without seeking the help of a vizier or advisor, for he is the all-knowing, the all-aware, the all-wise, the all-powerful, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. By the most minimal part of all that he has created, he has drawn from the hearts of those with direct knowledge, sincere testimony to his oneness. Those who have real knowledge, even the smallest of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's creation, it makes them realize, La ilaha illallah. It directs them to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Hence, mankind cannot do otherwise than to submit to his overpowering might and omnipotent power, acknowledge his lordship, and confess their inability to know completely his majesty and magnificence. Who could ever completely enumerate the praise due to him? Rather, he is as he has praised himself, as the Prophet ﷺ said, Subhanaka la nuhsithana an alayka anta kama athnayta ala nafsik. Glory belongs to you. We cannot praise you as you deserve, you know, an encompassing praise. You are as you praised yourself. And the farthest limit of our knowledge is to confess our inability to know him, which is why the one who had the greatest knowledge of Allah 
taught us that dua, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And so we ask Allah exalted is he to generously bestow on us his guidance out of his inestimable grace and kindness. Ameen. So then Imam al-Ghazali goes from the earth to the ocean now. Truly the mightiest aspect of the ocean are the huge creatures whose backs can be seen in the sea. One might think it was an island, but there are these amazingly large creatures in the ocean that if someone was to sit on them, they would think it's a big rock or an island or something like that. One might think it was an island so that tra travelers could land on it, but then it senses their fires when they burst into flame and it begins to move so that it becomes evident that it's a creature. And there is no category of land animal, be it a horse, bird, cow, or human being, that does not have multiple equivalents in the sea, as well as species not resembling anything found on land. In other, word, in other words, there are so many amazing creatures in the ocean, many that we don't know of. These have been described in volumes and collected by people who are concerned with traveling the sea and collecting its marvels. Next, consider how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created pearls, turning them round in their shells under the water. Consider how he caused coral to grow from solid rocks beneath the water, and it is actually a plant with the structure of a tree growing out of a rock. Then consider other phenomena, amber, and the various types of precious substances which the sea casts up and are extracted from it. All the wonders of Allah's creation in the seas could never be described in their entirety, even in multiple volumes. Yet more amazing than all of that is something that is more readily visible than anything else there is to be seen, the nature of a drop of water. <laughs> Imam al-Ghazali is, he is, he's an ayah. Imam al-Ghazali is, is a sign from Allah in and of himself. So he goes, the seas, and you're thinking about these massive whales and all this. He says, hold on, let's go. It's so close that you might be blind to it. He says, let's think about a drop of water, okay? It is a delicate, subtle, fluid, transparent body comprising parts that are, that are joined as though they were a single thing. It is subtle in its composition, amenable to control. You can guide it and, and susceptible both to dispersion and of connection. Water is the means of life for every creature and every plant on the face of the earth. So if a human servant of God was in need of a drink of water but was unable to get one, he would give away all the treasuries of the earth and the kingship of the world to obtain it if it was in his power to. Again, if after drinking it, he was later unable to remove it, he would give all, away all the treasuries of the earth and the kingship of the world for the ability to remove it. So then listen to this. How strange it is, therefore, how highly human beings esteem the gold dinar, the gold and silver coin, the fine jewels, but that they, they are heedless of the bounty of Allah Most High in a drink of water whenever they need to drink it, even though they would give the whole world away for it. All oh, these jewels and diamonds and all that kind of stuff. It's like, oh, did you realize that the greatest jewel, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, created it in such great abundance that almost everyone has access to it. And let's say, say clean water. Almost everyone has access to it. Actually, there's a large number of people who don't. That's a separate conversation. But the, 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 the signs of reflection in even a drop of water. 
So then ponder the wonders of waters and rivers, wells and oceans, for they contain extensive scope for reflection. All of those things are mutually supporting pieces of evidence and mutually reinforcing signs that speak with the tongue of their state, eloquently extolling the majesty of their maker, expressing the perfect wisdom that they contain, calling out to those with open hearts with their melodious songs, addressing every thinking person. Can you not see me? See my form, my composition and attributes, my uses, my various states and the number of my benefits. Do you suppose that I came into being of my own accord or that one of my kind created me? Are you not ashamed that you look at a word written with three letters and then assert that they are the work of a human being who has knowledge, ability, will, and speech? Then you look at the marvels of the divine calligraphy written on the pages of my face with the divine pen of which eyesight cannot perceive the nature, movement, or point of contact with the written line, and yet your heart is far removed from grasping the majesty of its maker? You see three, you see three letters. So, oh, someone put that there. What about the masterpiece, this divine calligraphy that doesn't have ink and a pen, but this is it. This is everything. This is his creation, subhanahu wa ta'ala, and you're blind to that. So, Imam al-Ghazali is taking us you know, down this, this channel of having a, a deeper and deeper reflection. So then he says, if you do not wonder at all, then be amazed at your own lack of wonderment, for it is more amazing than any wonder. If you're not in a state of bewilderment and amazement and awe of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then inshallah, none of, none of you and none of us, then a person who's in that state, uh, the, it's, it's a, that's a sign in and of itself. That's a marvel in and of itself that someone has clear signs, you know, staring them in the face and that they're blinded to it. So once, once again shows that guidance is a gift. Now, he who has blinded your insight in the face of this clear, straightforward evidence and prevented you from having certainty in the face of this descriptive explanation is indeed most deserving to be wondered at. Incomparably glorious then is he who guides and misguides, leads astray and leads aright, destines eternal damnation or felicity, who opens up the insight of those he loves so that they behold him in every single part and particle of the universe. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make us of those he loves. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Make us who uh, uh, people whose insight he opens up so that we can behold him in every single part and particle of the universe. Ameen. And who renders the hearts of his enemies blind. We seek Allah's protection from that. Veiling himself from them in his glory and exaltedness. His are the creation and the command. Subhanahu wa ta'ala. Then Imam al-Ghazali talks about the air. So he goes from the animals and the vegetation, to the oceans. Now he's going to the air. And now it's once again going from the closest further up. And he says something amazing. He says the air in its totality is like a single ocean in which birds swim. I never thought of it that way. If you think about animals of the, the fish, the air 
is like the ocean for them. It's like the same thing for us. It's like, oh, man, I can't even imagine being drowning in that ocean. But for them, it's the opposite. The air is its own kind of ocean. And the birds, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has particular created beings that are able to swim in that air. And it's made of a very different kind of composition than, than the ocean, right? So look at how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created it that way and that it's invisible, but it has, we know it's there, we feel it, it has its effect. And when Allah moves the air, causing a wind to blow, if he so wills, he makes it good news in advance of his mercy. As he says, subhanahu wa ta'ala, and we send the winds as pollinators. There's another sign of the interaction. So he's just talking about specifically one thing at a time, the interaction between all of these things and how they're dependent on one another and who created them that way and fashioned them in a way where they thrive. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So when the wind blows, it pollinates. So that through its movement, the, refresh, the refreshing influence of air reaches animals and plants. And so they are made ready for growth. Or else, if he so wishes, he makes the winds a means of punishment for those of his creation who are disobedient. As he says, subhanahu wa ta'ala, we unleashed against them a howling wind on a day of endless horror, which swept people away like uprooted trunks of palm trees. So what is it that yani, makes the wind in some cases a mercy and makes it in other cases a punishment? The decree of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's the decree of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And, and for, uh, I'm not sure if this ayah is referring to Prophet Hud alayhi salam or Prophet Salih, but when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala punished the people with that wind, the believers felt it like a cool breeze. It's the same wind. The believers felt like a cool Ah, that's so nice. <laughs> For the kuffar, it was adab. Look at how it's the same wind in the same experience. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala decrees that the experience is different based on the state of the people's hearts who are experiencing it. Who causes that to happen? Who wills for that to happen? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Naam. And then Imam al-Ghazali talks about, despite the fact that air is so subtle and light, and uh, it, if you put it under the water, you know, it will, the water will not overtake it. And how you can have heavy, large ships, but based on how much air they contain, they're able to pass through the water and not sink. And he talks about the relationship between that. And there's verses in the Quran that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, do you see how the, the ships are able to uh, you know, flow and, and, and uh, you know, go through the channels of the water and not sink. These are signs of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Then Imam al-Ghazali goes higher. What is between the heavens and the earth? Naam. And there's so much that he says. La ilaha illallah. So he talks about the rain. And there are so many signs in the rain. And this goes back to the water once again. And so many uh, things to reflect upon just regarding water. But he talks about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's decree. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's decree uh, that it reaches in such a precise and exact way. So then uh, Imam al-Ghazali says, if you gain from the, the, the whole uh, nothing more than seeing the rain with your eyes. He's talking about just reflecting and saying, oh, that's nice. 
Like, let's watch the Discovery Channel and just see what, you know, vegetation there is in the Amazon rainforest. Wow, that's really cool. That's interesting. That's another fact to add to, you know, my dinnertime conversation, as opposed to seeing it for what it really is and what it really indicates and points to. Imam al-Ghazali says, but if you gain from the whole of this nothing more than seeing the rain with your eyes and hearing the thunder with your ears, like this very surface level reflection, that is the mode of knowledge which the animal kingdom shares with you. Therefore, you should raise yourself up from this lowly world of the animals to the realm of al-mala'il-a'la, the supreme assembly in heaven. You have opened your eyes and so have perceived the things mentioned above in their outward appearance. Now close your eyes and look with your interior vision, your basira, your inner sight. Then you will behold their inward wonders and their extraordinary secrets. Now we're going deeper. Now we're going deeper. So, you know, you've, you've uh, reflected on the sensory world. Now it's time, Imam al-Ghazali says, to uh, uh, go higher. And that how even when it rains at that level, that every single drop of rain has the name and the type of animal or insect or human being or, what, or flower or whatever it is written on it in whatever land that thing exists in. So every drop has been assigned to a spot uh, on earth and to the creatures there, birds, wild animals, and all kinds of insects and beasts. Upon that raindrop, it is written in divine writing, invisible to outward vision, that it, for instance, is the provision for such and such a worm, which is in a particular area on a certain hill, and will reach it when it is thirsty at a certain time. Now you're starting to see that there is this amazing order and everything is uh, designed and fashioned by the most wise subhanahu wa ta'ala. And now that everyone has their rizq, their provisions reaching them. Hence he says, and those who are believers, his creation can only give rise to humility and submission to his majesty and greatness. When they see this, they say, subhanallah. Every single bird, every single insect, every single animal, you know, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala provides for them. And every animal on the face of the earth is guaranteed its provision by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah takes care of its provision. So the believers, when they witness that, they witness all of these wonders, all of these various types of creation, they increase in humility and submission to His majesty and greatness. In the blindly contentious, on the other hand, it gives rise only to ignorance as to its natural, uh, its nature, and mere guesswork as regards to the cause of origin. You say, oh, you know, this is, what caused this? Oh, well, the water came from the heavens. The water's heavy, so it fell from the sky and it reached people. So it is that an ignorant person may say water falls only because it's heavy by nature. And that's the only reason why it falls thinking that this is a piece of knowledge. I made a discovery, which he has discovered and congratulating himself on it. But he, if he were asked what nature means, this is the nature of water. What does nature mean? What created it? What created the water that is heavy by nature? What, is it, what was it that raised the water which had fallen as rain to the lowest parts of the tree to its highest branches 
despite the water being heavy in nature. Who caused all of these things to happen? It's not random. It's not happening in this chaotic way. Who's the one who caused all of that? In every single moment, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is disclosing himself to us. And if Imam al-Ghazali is saying our whole life is food and clothing and feeling good, I'm hungry, I eat, I'm tired, I sleep, I want to make money, I want to ha have fun, and that's it. That's it. Your heart was created for more than that. Your heart, you have the potential to have ma'rifah. When Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala disclosed all the names to Adam alayhi salam, and he was given an honor that made the angels bow to him, each and every one of us has that potential. So Imam al-Ghazali is saying, look, reflect, see what's actually happening. Look at what you're being invited to. And that's why they say that the people of Allah, the Arifin, they say that the people of Allah, they don't die. And the people who don't have Iman, their, their bodies are graves. They're already dead. These are the people who have life. When you're connected to Al-Hayy subhanahu wa ta'ala, the living the truly living, the real, al-haq, you're giving everlasting honor. All these things of the transitory world, you're beyond that already. You've looked beyond the, 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 the veil. You've looked beyond uh, uh, the, you know, what, what, what confuses most people, and you see reality. Then you see reality. So who's the one who, who willed all of that? If you say that a person, if you find page, uh, words on a page, you say someone with knowledge and will and consciousness and power wrote this, then what about the entire cosmos? Um, so the person thinks that they're smart. They say, oh, well, the rain caused it. Well, the rain, oh, well, some cosmic dust. It was a big bang. It then Go back. Go a little bit further back. No, no, that's it. Mm, I don't think you got the full picture. You just, you stopped at a particular point that really suits your uh, uh, very limited intellect and frankly your arrogance because you think you know what everyone else doesn't know. But then there's, there's, an, uh, uh, there's one subhanahu wa ta'ala who caused everything jalla jalalu. Naam. So he continues on, but if the natural movement of water is downwards, how is it able to move upwards up the, the roots of the tree? And if that is due to some attractive force, what activates that attractive force? If all of this and the final analysis is due to the creator of the heavens and the earth, the all-compelling master of the sensory realm and the suprasensory realm, the supraformal, the malakut, beyond the sensory realm, why not credit to him in the first place? The finishing point of the ignorant person is the starting point of the intelligent. The intelligent person says, La ilaha illallah. There's a, everything. I know I was created. I know how did I get this face? How did, I know Allah created me. Everything around, I know Allah created me. And then the other person says, no, no, it's all accidents, this, that. Let's go back, let's go back, let's go back, let's go back. And say, okay, once you get past infinite regression, then what? There has to be a cause. There has to be a beginning. Oh, well, I guess. That's what I was telling you at the beginning. Why do we have to go down this rabbit hole of nonsense? But that's where people are at. So then Imam al-Ghazali says, now we're going to the heavens. Amongst his signs are the supraformal realm, the malakut of the heavens and the stars which they contain, which is the whole of the matter. This is what we're trying to attain. This is where we want to go, not on a spaceship. 
with your heart. With your heart. You want to go beyond. And even then, you want to go beyond creation itself. Anyone who perceives the totality without considering the wonders of the heavens has verifiably failed to consider the totality. In fact, in proportion to the heavens, the earth is a single body. It's very small. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran, by the sky with its constellations, by the heavens and the night visitor, by the sky with its pathways, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks about the stars and the constellations calling us to reflect. Naam. La ilaha illallah. And he says that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala never made an oath by the, the lowly fluid that a human is created from. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala swore by the heavens multiple times. So what does that say? If we saw the, the wonders and the marvels that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala brings through his creating the human being from that lowly form, then what about the heavens that he has sworn by and that are already honored and considered of the, the, the sublime realm, the lofty realm? What do you think then about by which Allah Most High has sworn and to which he assigns and attributes the things with which you have been provided in advance, saying, and in heaven is your provision and that which you are promised. He praises those who reflect upon it, saying, and who reflect upon the creation of the heavens and earth. The Messenger of Allah, sallallahu alayhi wa he said, you know, woe to the person who recites this verse, the end of Surah Ali Imran, without reflecting upon it. Look into the realms of Allah's creation and you will discover the wonders of his majesty and omnipotence. Do not think that observing those realms means that you should simply look at them for a long time, noting the color of the sky, the light and the scatteredness of the stars. The animal kingdom share equally with you in looking at them. If the scope of observation were limited to that, why ever would Allah Most High have praised Ibrahim السلام, by saying, and thus did we show Ibrahim the suprasensory realm, the malakut of the heavens and the earth. The Prophet Ibrahim, when he was looking at the heavens, he wasn't looking just at the stars. He's looking at the malakut. So in Arabic, we have al-mulk, the dominion, the sensory realm, the lowest heaven, what we're experiencing now, that's the mulk. And then there's the malakut. That's the suprasensory realm, the unseen realm beyond that. So now Imam al-Ghazali is saying, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that he praised Ibrahim alayhi salam and showed him the malakut of the heavens and the earth. So there's deep knowledge. The Quran refers to all that can be seen by the eyes as the kingdom, al-mulk, or the manifest world, al-shahada. And then that which is hidden from eyesight, Allah calls it the unseen, al-ghayb, and the suprasensory realm, al-malakut. Allah Most High is the knower of the unseen and the manifest. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, they encompass nothing of his knowledge except as he wills. He is the knower of the seen, and his unseen is manifested to no one but a prophet with whom he is well pleased, in the greatest sense of uh, being manifested to them. So then we're coming to the, we're coming to the end shortly, inshallah. O man of intellect, extend your contemplation of the realm of the kingdom so that perhaps the gates of heaven may be open to you and you may be able to roam its regions with your heart until your heart finds itself before the throne of the All-Merciful. Until your heart finds itself before the throne of the All-Merciful. 
May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us that fi khair wa lutfu afiyah, in goodness and gentleness and well-being. Then you may be able to hope to attain the rank of Sayyidina Umar ibn al-Khattab, may Allah be well pleased with him, who said, My heart beheld my Lord. This is because the attainment of that which is further away can only happen after one has surpassed that which is nearer. The thing that is closest to you is your own self, then the earth which is your abode, then the air which surrounds you, then the plants, the animals, and everything else that is on the face of the earth, then the marvels of the air, or of that which is between heaven and earth, then the seven heavens and their stars, then the footstool, the kursi, the throne, al-arsh, the angels, hamalat al-arsh, the angels who bear the throne, and the angelic wardens of the heavens. From there you will pass on to behold the Lord of the throne, the footstool, the heavens and the earth, and all that is between them. Now between you and these last mentioned things, there are vast expanses, enormous distances, obstacles that are hard to overcome, and you have yet to overcome the obstacle that is nearest to you and lowest, that of knowing the outward aspect of yourself. And yet in your insolence, you start wagging your tongue. He means the, the person who, who wants to argue and claim to have direct knowledge of your Lord. I have now come to know him and his creation. What else should I contemplate and what else should I look at? Lift your, heads towards, lift your head towards the sky right now and consider it together with its stars, with their orbits and their rising and setting, as well as the sun and the moon and it contains with their various points of rising and setting. Consider how the heavenly bodies are continuously in motion without any slowing of their movement or change in their courses. Thus it is that they all run together through positions determined by precise determination never susceptible of increase or decrease until Allah, exalted as he, shall roll them up like a written scroll. And once again, even all those heavenly bodies, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says on the day of resurrection that they'll all be rolled up like a scroll. And that all of the power and might will uh, be manifest for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone. La ilaha illallah. So then Imam al-Ghazali, he goes on talking about that. He says, we have no desire to enumerate even one hundredth of a single part of the wonders of the heavens. What we have described is no more than a suggestion regarding the way of contemplating. So this goes back practically to what we were talking about in the very beginning. When's the last time we looked at the stars? When's the last time we put all that noise away and just really thought about how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala provides for his creation. How Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has fashioned everything in a way that every animal has what it needs to survive and to thrive. And there are so many variations. One thing that is necessary for one animal is absolutely impossible for the other one. And who willed it that way? Who continuously takes care of them? Who causes the rains to fall? Who causes the crops to grow? Who causes the sun to shine? We just need time to just really uh, be in the moment, as they say. You know, that's like the new phrase, like be in the moment, but really be in the moment without distractions. And just say, Ya Allah, la ilaha illallah, subhanallah, subhanallah, subhanallah. And really, from really meaning it, you know, really meaning, subhanAllah, look at how you take care of your creation. Look at how 
Ya Allah. And really seeing all of that. Naam, what we have described is no more than a suggestion. Be firm then in your conviction that there exists no heavenly body which does not contain many signs of the wisdom of Allah Most High in respect of its creation, size, form, color, position in the sky. Naam. As you are aware, and then he talks about the size of the earth and the sun and how it's a very small, uh, you know, heavenly body and that there are all these other great heavenly bodies that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala takes care of and maintains. Naam. But then this is the point where, that we really want to get to when we don't have much time. So Imam al-Ghazali says, you have preoccupied yourself with those vain things, the dunya, the dinar and the dirham, the gold and silver coin. Oh, you know, this nice piece of clothing or the next pair of shoes or whatever it is, you know, that, that, that really occupies our thoughts so much. Uh, or just even, you know, scrolling and scrolling and scrolling and scrolling and, and wasting our lives away on things that don't really, looking at what other people did and what other people said and things that are not of benefit. And then he said, and neglected. You preoccupied yourself with those vain things and neglected to contemplate the beauty of the realms of the heavens and the earth. You have also neglected to take delight in contemplating the majesty of the master of the realms of the uh, supersensory domain and the kingdom. You and your intelligence resemble nothing more than an ant, which is issues forth from the nest it has excavated inside a fortified palace. So there's an ant that build a little ant hole inside this amazing palace of a king uh, that is inside this fortified palace, loftily built with sturdy pillars, adorned with the presence of servants, boys and girls, and all kinds of precious, exquisite objects. On leaving its nest, the ant then meets its companion, and it doesn't talk about anything except its own house. If it could speak at all, ah, oh, my ant hole is so nice. And I got this little piece of salt or this little piece of cake that fell. And that's all they talk about. As for the palace and the king inside it, it would be far removed from them or thinking about them. In fact, it would be powerless to progress beyond considering itself, its food, and its home to anything else. Now, just as the ant is heedless of the palace, its floor, ceiling, walls, or the rest of its structure, and is equally uninterested in its residence. So you too are, uh, he, so you too are heedless of the house of Allah Most High and of His angels, who are the inhabitants of His heavens. You have no knowledge of the heavens beyond what that ant knows of the roof of its own dwelling. No knowledge of the angels beyond what that ant knows of you and the other inhabitants of your house. But an ant has no means of knowing you, the marvels of your palace or the wonders of craftsmanship which the divine has wrought within you. You, on the other hand, possess the potential power to roam around the suprasensory realm, the malakut, and become acquainted with such of its wonders as the generality of creatures are unaware of. So the, the ant has an excuse, but we don't have an excuse. And this is why it's such a, it's such ingratitude to disbelieve in Allah. You've been given the greatest potential. You've been given the greatest opportunity. 
You're going to throw that away? For what? For food? For a nice car? So people think you're something special? For what? And then they're all going to leave you? You're going to forget, like Sheikh Yahya was saying, you'll forget the taste of the food as soon as you're done? And then what? And then those people feel an emptiness. Even those people who've got it all, they feel an emptiness. What am I doing all this for? I know that everyone around me is fake. I know that this doesn't make me happy. I know that I, I don't feel supported. I don't feel, I feel very much alone. And then you find the person who has ma'rifah. They have no need for creation. Everyone could laugh at them. They could throw their garbage on them as they walk by them. And they have very little of the dunya. But their heart is uh, connected to the throne of Allah. I need clothes. I need nice clothes. I need followers on Instagram. I need, what do I need? My heart is attached to the arsh. Now. So that's what Imam al-Ghazali is telling us. Naam. So then finally we'll end with uh, uh, Naam. Allah, there's so much to say. Inshallah, when this book is published, after Sidi Muhammad Isa Waili, inshallah, the final touches, when this book is published, we'll all get a copy. Inshallah ta'ala. So he says, everything that we have considered in this book is also considered by the naturalist, the person who studies the natural world. But his manner of studying it brings about misguidance and eternal misfortune. How many people study all of this and they come to the wrong conclusion? Whereas for someone who has received the divine favor of spiritual success, Ya Allah, grant us that. Ya Arhamar Rahimin, Ya Akram al Akramin, grant us, make us of those people. Reflecting upon all those things becomes the means of having a correct intention and eternal good fortune. Fortune. Not one particle exists in either the heavens or the earth whereby Allah, transcendently perfect and majestic as he, does not misguide whomever he wills and guide whomever he wills. So it is that anyone who studies those things while considering them as being the actions and works of Allah Most High will thereby gain knowledge of his glory and greatness and hence they will be rightly guided. How many people they call them scholars and scientists and the smartest people on the face of the earth? They don't know anything. They just know the outward appearance of the hayat dunya. They haven't even be, they're not, they don't even have access to the wisdom of those things. They don't even know how to take care of their own selves. You can find their own thoughts are muddled. And people, oh, big scientists, they can do algorithms and they can, mabruk. What are you, where are you going to be on yawm al-qiyamah? Where will you be when you stand before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and you were exposed to all of these marvels and you only chose more ignorance and arrogance and thinking that you're the center of the universe instead of seeing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's signs and saying, La ilaha illallah aslamtu nafsi lillah. I submit to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then there are people who, just a little sign, La ilaha illallah Muhammad Rasulullah. I believe. They make a dua, the dua is answered. Allah casts light into their heart. La ilaha illallah. It's in Allah's hands. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala guide us and allow us to remain guided upon the truth until we meet him subhanahu wa ta'ala. On the other hand, anyone who studies them while confining himself to considering them from the viewpoint of how they affect each other without observing that they are linked to the cause of all causes will be ruined 
and will have an unhappy destiny. We seek refuge in Allah from going astray, and we ask Him that we avoid that terrain so treacherous for the feet of the ignorant by His grace, generosity, favor, bounty, and compassion. Ameen. And here ends the book of Reflection, which is the ninth book of the Quarter of the Saving Virtues. Uh, praise be to Allah first and last, and we send peace and blessings and exaltations upon His Prophet and family inward, inwardly and outwardly. Walhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen.